So Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, um, is kind of an appropriate passage for us today because we're talking about graduations. Every people are part of that. So people are changing phases of their relationship with their parents. And when you start talking about specific passages, you know, a lot of us, when you come to a church, maybe I'll put it this way, you come into a church setting and you either think, you know, there's the possibility of this extreme to think, well, sermons, I, I don't hardly remember anything I ever heard. You know, we put little, there's magnetic stripes above every one of these doors. And when you walk out, you, it's all erased, everything you heard, you know, so that's the theory. It's actually scientific, by the way, that when you change doors, you change situations, your brain changes, and a lot of the things you forget. So there's actually scientific proof behind that. But the extreme is to say, well, I don't get anything out of it anyway, so what, you know, what good is it? That's one extreme. The other extreme is to be so stressed I'm not going to get everything I'm supposed to get. So I'm writing it all down. I'm trying to make sure I got it all. I don't want to miss anything. Both of those are extremes. How many of you have ever drank from a, a, a garden hose before? Grown up in the country, I don't know. Are they still allowed to? There's probably some sort of laws now. You can't drink from a hose, but we drink from the hose at our house sometimes. And if you've drank from a stream before, another example, you don't look at the water going by you. Yeah, of course, the Roberts was. I'm drinking from the stream this morning. You don't get stressed out thinking, "Oh, I'm missing all this water that we just went by me." And in the same way, you're not. Well, I'm going to miss all that water anyway. It's not even worth it. The, the truth is, is the water that you drank was the water that you need. And so in a sermon situation, there's going to be a lot of water coming at you this morning. The water of the Word, the water of the Holy Spirit. Don't get stressed one way or the other, either extreme. Just know that the water that you need is the water that you'll get. And you can relax and rest in the presence of the Lord with that. So Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And it says to the fathers, don't provoke your children. Exasperate is the NIV. I'm using the NIV version on mine. That's, I think, the ESV. Don't exasperate. It probably says don't provoke in some of your versions. Do your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So, Father, would you give us insight into that this morning, into that promise, that the, the light into darkness for us, that it would be a lamp for us this morning. We ask for your uh, guidance and that your word would be really specific and unique to each of us this morning, just as you've always done and promised you would do, that the water we need is the water we'll get. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. How many have taught your teenager to drive? Yeah, a little bit of gray hair, <laughs> my gray hair. I've, Ashley is with us this morning, and Ashley is our second child that I've, Shannon and I have both taught to drive, and Lauren's coming down the pipe here. Now, where I'm, actually, where we're from in Nebraska, you know that when you drive there, like, there's, there's nothing to hit. It's just wide open spaces, so it's like, I oh, swear. But the, the stakes are pretty high <laughs> in Tennessee driving. These little winding roads... And Ashley, by the way, now is a gainfully employed 16-year-old uh, driving. Um, she's great at it. and She's actually going to go next week to spend a month at a uh, governor's college in Cookville. So she's, we're not going to let you drive to that. But, but she drives really good. She's a good driver. But along the, the journey of driving, uh, there was a moment where they were going down. This was Shannon and Ashley. It was night, probably after work. 
probably a long day of slinging custard at Culver's, and so they're on Paytonsville Road, and you know, these winding roads in Tennessee, if you're an adult, you got to be fairly alert, and at night, the lights are on, you're going around these curves, and so she uh, was going to turn the high beams off, and uh, accidentally turned the lights off. Did I mention it was night? <laughs> Paytonsville Road. <laughs> And the stakes are high. Like, you missed that one, and it's, you're going to, you know, you get to get some, it's like Dukes of Hazard moment for about a second. So <laughs> I asked, uh, so Shannon, actually, they get home that night, and Shannon's hands are, like, shaking. She's kind of white, you know. <laughs> okay, well, we made it. We're alive. We're, you know, we're fine. I asked Ashley a couple days later, like, so when that happened, you know, how did that go? What was that? And she said, and I quote, Mom, Dad, I mean, Mom, Dad, Mom scared the crap out of me. She scared the crap out of me. She was actually driving when she said it and looked over. And, um, I was like, well, you scared the crap out of her. So I guess, you know, we're, we're even on that. But as I was really pondering this little passage, I was like, what a perfect metaphor, teaching your teenager to drive at night for what raising a kid is, is really like. Winding and curving roads, surprises, lots of moments of panic, uh, moments of tense, and moments of proud, you know, moments of all that. And then... Someone turns the lights out. <laughs> it shakes the whole thing up. And I don't know, maybe that wasn't how your parenting experience went. But that's sometimes I feel like how ours is, is that it's this give and this take. And this uh, the relationship with our parents in general is just a complex thing. And it's not even just when you're little, right? Because there's a lot of grown-ups in this room with a lot of moms and dads. And that relationship doesn't necessarily get easier, does it? Sometimes it gets more complex and more complicated. And the beauty of what Paul is saying here is that it actually speaks to little kids and it speaks to adult kids. Because not everybody in here is a parent, but everybody in here is somebody's kid. And so he gives us equal uh, opportunity here to talk with on both sides of those issues and, and to help us to not get trapped into, especially if you're, if you're at every juncture, there's a point where you can get trapped uh, now, with, like I said, with Pinterest, like that's the worst thing that's ever happened to parenting because moms are like, oh, I got to get Crate and Barrel or I got to get you, this trap that happens. And some of our neighborhoods provide that trap because there's this illusion that we see outside that isn't the same inside. So you're trying to keep up with this thing that's just not even real and it's not true. And so you can get trapped into that. You can get trapped as an adult child into trying to get your dad's approval, try to get mom's approval, or you're underneath their authority still. You're a grown woman or grown man, and you're still living for the approval of your parent. That's a trap as well. And the solution right here in the scriptures is to not get caught in the parent trap, but to drink from the parent tap. Sorry, we're going to take a moment and enjoy that. I was really proud of that. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, he says, to be not drunk with wine. Summer to do, but to be filled with the Spirit. Because what I'm about to tell you this morning, there's some really practical advice in here, but without the Holy Spirit, it all falls apart. Because He gives us the ingredients of raising a child, but the recipe varies based upon your situation, which means the only way you're going to know how much of this to put in this one and that one is like a Paula Deen recipe a pinch of this and a scoop of that is you need the Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit, the Paula Deen Spirit. To tell you, I need this, these ingredients in this quantity to make this happen. In verse 1, he tells us, talking from parents, or from kids to parents, and from parents to kids. 
And in verse 1, he speaks specifically to the kids. And he says, to obey your parents, for this is right. And that kids, that children, is exactly what it, you think it means, which is little ones, little adolescent ones. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he goes on to say, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise. Those are two different ideas that he's talking about. And he specifically tackles this honor because that's a principle. Obedience is an application of the principle of honoring. When you get older, there are parents that maybe you're not, you're not well, you're certainly not obeying them if you're grown-ups. But some of you are in situations where you don't even admire your parents. You don't trust your parents. And some of you with good reason. That's why in, when, when God boils it down to ten, these ten principles for life, when he gets to number four and he says, honor your father and mother, he doesn't say love your father and mother. He doesn't say admire your father and mother. He doesn't say uh, trust them. He just says honor them. And then when you're little, you do obey. And we're going to talk in a minute. And Benny's here. I might actually just have you come down here. I hope you're ready. Um, I was about to give you these seven things of how to be a parent. And Benny, the guy that wrote him, is here. So we might actually uh, bring battlefield promotion here. When you're talking about obeying, when you're a kid, you're in that little age, in your little phase, obedience is what you do. Don't lick that light socket that it might go well with you and you live long on this earth. <laughs> For it's right. It's just right when you're younger, when you're an adolescent. And as you get older... Sometimes we conflate these two and we say that I want to honor them and that to honor them also means I need to obey them. As a grown, what did it just say? Verse 31, 32, and 33 of Ephesians 5 says, no, you leave and you cleave. So you're leaving that now. You're starting a new family. So I'm not obeying my mom anymore. I'm not obeying my dad. Some of us as adults get confused and we think to honor them means I got to listen to everything they say. And so when mother-in-law is over for Thanksgiving being super judgy, You're just listening to everything she's got to say. (laughs) It's never happened, I know, but honor them doesn't mean that I love and admire and trust them. Some of you, by the way, have that relationship with your parents, and absolutely, congratulations. It's amazing. Robin posted a picture of her mom and dad, married 50 years, and and, and sometimes when you the the, the relationship works and and it's amazing. And then there are others of us that don't have that. So much so that there are hundreds of millions of dollars spent every year. Am I, am I right about this time? Maybe. Just trying to figure out what kind of a number your dad did on you. Boy, your mom must have done a number on you. And you, you regress and you go back to childhood and try to figure out what happened at that moment that, that messed you up for the rest of your life. And as a, we grow older, how do we honor somebody that we don't trust? Now, by the way, kids, you do the opposite of this when you're adolescent. You say, I will, well, I got to obey you, but I ain't going to honor you. You can't punish me for being sullen and cold. So on the adult side, we tend to get into the ditch of saying, well, I'm going to obey, and honor means obey. And on the kid side, it means, well, I don't have to uh, honor you, but I'll at least obey. Obedience in and of itself is just an application of honor. It's just an outgrowth of that. And as you get older, my encouragement to anybody who is in that situation, 
It's a command to honor your parents. And it doesn't mean sometimes you have to have, you maybe have to have parameters. You maybe have to draw circles of protection. All those things are true. But there is a way to honor somebody. One writer that I read said that honor is an unsentimental decision. That I can love and admire somebody with a feeling, but honor doesn't necessarily require that. You can place something, a, a, a place of honor in your home your, without actually you know, loving the picture, but it's in a place of honor in your home. You can allow your parents to have a place of honor in your life. And you have to figure out what that means. And you know how you figure out what it means? You drink from the parent tap, from the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to drink from the, the Spirit to say to my family, how do I honor my family? How do I honor my parents? For me, it was... You know, I had a mom and a dad that, that free-ranged us, basically. And by free-ranged, I mean that they would open the door. And they, we can sort of over-romanticize this, open the door at 7 in the morning, you know, kick you out of the house, and I'll see you at dinner time. I don't even remember what we did for lunch. Frankly, it's amazing we didn't die. <laughs> we were at the Republican River. We would, uh, there was a little place where there was this whirlpool because of the, some uh, construction concrete that had been dumped in there. And... We would ride our bikes like goonies, man. We'd get out and ride out into the country. We would, we would hop trains. I don't hope Kenneth Enzer's not in here. He works for CSX. Um, we would literally hop the train because it would slow down to go through town and hitch a ride about two miles out of town, and it was going just fast enough that you had to jump and roll to get off of it. But we would jump into this Republican River because we figured out where the uh, whirlpool was. If you dove in just right, it would throw you up onto the sandbar <laughs> under the whirlpool. Now, my mom knows this now because she's in heaven, but I promise you that this never came up at dinner. (laughs) And the thing is, is with that situation, like, you could look at that and say, oh, that was really fun as a kid, but as an adult, you're like, I just wanted you, I just wanted your advice. I just wanted to know that you cared. I wanted to know that you, you know, I could call you, that, you know, we didn't have that. And so for me, the the, the challenge has always been and, and continues probably until uh, the other side of heaven is to be able to honor my parents without blaming them. And the way for me it has been was to say that, you know, one of the things that I can honor my parents for was that at 16 years old, I came home from youth group with this idea that I wanted to go to Guatemala for the summer. Now, we were poor as could be. My dad hadn't worked in a while and there was no money. There was no. So maybe that's why she said yes, honestly, because she didn't think it would happen. That was April of uh, 1987, and by June, I was on a plane with this guy named Ron Luce, who was 24 years old at the time. He started a ministry called Teen Mania and Acquire the Fire. But back there, I mean, he's 24 years old. My mom had never met this guy. And we went to Guatemala for eight weeks, where, it's, again, it was, it was lucky none of us got killed. I mean, we were climbing, like, hiking the volcano in Guatemala, but looking over into the, the cone. Like, you're not a Swedish scientist or a Swiss scientist found us up there going, no, 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 don't get out of there. You're going to get killed. You're gonna get... You'd breathe those gases in. I got hit by a car when I was there. It's amazing we didn't get dead. <laughs> That's another sermon. Um, my point being that I could be, I could look at the negative side of, of the way that she was and I could grow old and bitter and cynical or I could honor her and say that she gave me more yeses than noes. Her noes were firm. Her noes were inexplicable. Sometimes, but her yeses were more than her noes. And even in her, what, did, what was the promise of the word? In your weakness, I will be strong. So in her weakness of really not knowing, and she was just doing the best she could with what she had. But in her weakness, God was strong. Because 
1987, in a hotel room in Guatemala, a 16-year-old perma-mulleted Darren Tyler had the seeds born that would later grow into Conduit Church. I didn't know that then. She didn't know that, but she let me so that I can honor her with those things. I honor my dad. You know, he's, he's like, he actually had a cell phone for about two weeks until he realized that he, then people would call him. <laughs> he was like, oh, never mind. So for me, sometimes I had to, to honor my dad, and I can talk freely about this because the statistical probability of him ever understanding technology enough to even hear this are zero, <laughs> unless they're at the lake fishing with him. But he, he, he's never home. He never answers the phone. And so I know that if I call him, he's never going to call me back. But I can honor him by calling and just leaving a message. Right? honor him by if, these little uh, iPhone apps where you could send postcards from wherever you are. And, and I know that I can honor him by doing that and for me, it requires the Holy Spirit because there's sometimes I want to type something different on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the postcard. But the Holy Spirit, when I drink from the parent tap of the Spirit, I can say, I can still honor him. Even if it's ne- it'll never be this side of heaven, the relationship that all of us want with our dads, I can still honor him with that. And so my encouragement to you today is, Paul's encouragement, it's one of the ten principles. And the fact of the matter is, the more you learn to do that, the reason it says that it'll go well with you and you'll live long on this earth is if you sit around being bitter and cynical about your parents, science has proven out that that kind of bitterness, that kind of resentment, that kind of unforgiveness causes sickness. Letting it go is not only your gift to your parent, it's not only your gift to the Father, it's his gift to you, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can do that. So children, obey your parents. Honor your parents. I know that song. I love our church. I really do. And then he goes on to say, fathers, don't exasperate your, parents, your kids. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't, it doesn't say don't make them mad. Because I don't know, have you ever, you ever had a two-year-old? Do you know what I'm saying? If you've got a two-year-old, you know how well it goes when you say no. It makes them mad. So he's saying instead of that, it's not about that, it's don't provoke them to wrath. And you know what provokes a child to wrath? It's too much or too little of the next two things he says to do. Raise your child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In the training and the discipline. In whatever your translation says, it's a feminine and it's a masculine. It's a maternal and it's a paternal. Nurture of a newborn, of a mother. There's this nurturing side of of loving a child. And then there's this admonition side. There's the booming father voice. Inside of our God himself, if you don't think the definitions of masculine and feminine are important, even inside of God live both definitions. El Shaddai means the all-breasted one. It's the God that is a maternal, the mama bear side of God. The nurturing side, the left hand of God. And on the right, Jehovah Jireh, the strong arm of God. And he would say that in parenting, we need both nurture and we need both admonition. Too much nurture and not enough admonition? Have you been around a spoiled and petulant child? What did you do by giving them everything they wanted? You provoked them to wrath. And on the other side, if you're the hardcore marine uh, you know, at the crack of dawn, you're harsh, and that's all, it's all admonition and no nurture. You've been around a child that was raised in that environment. They're angry about it. 
It has provoked them to wrath. So inside of God is the emotional and the rational, the feeling and the function. By the way, even in design itself, in the, just the natural world, water is beautiful. It's got the feeling when you sit by the beach, when you sit by the lake, it's beautiful. Very feeling and very functional. Inside of just the design itself, the guy that uh, invented the iPod, not Steve Jobs, but the guy that invented the design itself, said that the reason that those of you that bought a Zune, please, would you raise your hand if you bought the Zune? Mo bought a Zune. Your wife still has one. She confessed in first service. It still works. Because what Microsoft got right was function. It worked. It was designed really well. What they got so wrong was the emotion, the feeling side of it. The reason why most of us in this room have spent way more money than we would really be willing to admit on an iPhone that does basically what a Zune would do, an iPod did what a Zune does, was because we bought into the emotion and the function, the feeling and the function. And inside of a human, if we're creating and we're making disciples, what God is saying is you need to put the ingredients in your disciple of feeling and function. And the only way that we know the mix, the right blend, is to drink from the parent tap of the Holy Spirit. Because there are days when we like, man, I just want to get it right with my kids. I really want to get it right with Lauren and Ashley. And, and there's days I, I get it wrong and there's days I get it right. And the fact of the matter is, is that some of your kids, probably most of your kids are going to go pay somebody a lot of money, hopefully you guys, to tell us what kind of a number your parents did on you. Because we're all stumbling towards redemption together. None of us are going to get this right perfectly. But the spirit infiltrating our lives allows us on every day access to a source of power and a source of inspiration and then trust that the Holy Spirit is actually, by the way, this is a huge lesson for all of us, I'm not my kid's savior, Jesus is. That parenting in and of itself isn't about raising children, it's about raising adults. And there are seven phases. Benny, would you come down here? I didn't ask you to do this, but I'm asking you now. You can feel free to say no after you're done. Oh, no, I've done plenty. <laughs> but Benny taught a class on Benny, uh, Prophet, and Mary Lou, founders of First Priority, if you're visiting. There are literally 10,000 clubs all over America right now, meeting in high schools that are student-led discipleship clubs founded out of a ministry that Benny Prophet founded. Benny taught a... It's so funny. We did a parenting conference last year, and you know who shows up for a parenting conference? The parents that are already doing a pretty good job. Those that are like, you know, are missing it and knows that, you know, they're like, oh, I just, I don't want to be a part of that. Because you don't, you think I don't want to be told what I'm doing wrong. And that's not the point of it. But Benny explained something, and I got him up here for you. The seven phases of a child's, and I'll, I'll Sam, and you, just, you clarify them. The seven phases of a child's life. You're not raising a child to be independent as much as interdependent. Meaning, at some point, parenting is the art, the, it's letting go. That's what's happening to those of you that, or raising kids that are graduating. You're letting them go. But it doesn't start there. It starts first with caregiver. Infant. You're totally dependent, 100% dependent on you. Right. And how many of you guys knew mamas? How many of your little babies wiped their own butts this morning? <laughs> right? 100% dependent on you. It's the caregiver phase of it. And they move from caregiver, that's about zero to one-ish, but eventually your little, your little baby is going to be old enough to walk and, and lick the light socket. They're going to be old enough to grab stuff off the counter and put it in their mouth, and so you move to the cop phase. And 
that is, uh, it's protection. There's rules, and the rules are there to protect you. And so you enforce the rules. They don't understand them. So it's not about your child understanding. I see parents, you know, you're at Kmart or Walmart or somewhere, and the kid does something wrong, and you're sitting there. Now, when we get home, I'm going to tell you this kind of because you don't want to embarrass yourself or your child there. And then you get home, and you say, now, remember when you were at Walmart and we talked about this? And they look like, nah, I don't remember anything. But uh, so it's not, this is not the phase where you explain to your children everything. It's where you protect them. You don't have to explain to them why, why they can't touch the light socket because they don't understand yeah. Yeah, because at that age with our kids, uh, our daughters, you guys were, you know, you didn't jump off of stuff. And, but Ethan got his first stitches by the time he was 18 months mm-hmm. old. It's running down the sofa, diving into the cushions with the glass top table there. Th- yes, that's what it was. Running down the sofa is fun. <laughs> the glass top table, all you see, the kids say, and this is fun. The dad's going, you're going to kill yourself yeah. right here. And he and split so- his lip. It was hanging off mm-hmm. like we were... Uh, and by the way, at that age, they didn't put Nova or painkiller in it. They did it like Civil War style. They wrapped him up like a burrito and asked us to leave the room. <laughs> yeah. But they don't remember. No, before he didn't remember five any years of that. old, you know. Yeah, he didn't remember great, Make all your mistakes before they're five because they never remember. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they hypnotize you. Into, anyway. Okay, so you go from, that's about till five years old, six, yeah, five and then you six. move into the coach phase. And that is where you teach them, you know. And the great thing about it, when they go into that phase, you know who the most beautiful woman in the world is? Mom. And you know who the biggest, strongest guy in the world is? Dad. They want to hear what you have to say. Because when they turn 13, it's over. that phase is over. <laughs> so, you, you, so between that 5 and 6 to about 11 or 12, they really want to listen to what you have to say. And they look at you as the greatest people in the world. But that changes too. I remember the change with Maddie, our sophomore in college now, going to be. Because I would go and have lunch with her at school at Poplar Grove, and we would, you know, meet at the little cafeteria. And so she gets into fifth grade, sixth grade maybe. And I'm walking in. I'm going to surprise her for lunch like I had done often throughout her little years. Mm -hmm. And you'd have thought that I walked in there with my shirt off. She was... (laughs) (laughs) She's coming down the hallway, and I'm coming down, and I'm like, hey, Maddie. And she's like... Dad, you can't be in here. They don't allow parents in here, which was totally a lie. <laughs> I found out later, she, you know, that, was, that wasn't even true. I could have gone, but, but she was flipping from I'm the strongest man in the world to, and I thought, look, I was so naive. I was managing rock bands. I thought, I'm the cool dad. I'm a, nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Well, you're going to find something here. You're going to find, remember these three things, me, family, and others. So when you're, the first thing you teach your children at the cop phase is how to deal with me. And you find out that me is not in charge. You, you, you realize that you're living in a world where I'm not in charge. Then the coach phase is family. You know, they love their family and you engage with that. And then the next phase is others. So how do I deal with others? Now that's life. You start out where you're the center of the world, then you realize you're in a family and you got to deal with them. And then you realize the most important thing is people that aren't your family. you got to deal with the world outside. And if you teach your kids how to deal with me, family, and others when they're in your house, then they'll know how to deal with me, family, and others when they leave your house. Yeah. Go home on that. That was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I called Benny down here. Moved from coach to consultant, which is around 13, 14. 
And that's, that's really others. That's, that's the when others. They, they leave you, you know, when you're 11 years old, uh, your dad and your mom are the greatest people in the world. And when you turn 13 or 14, you don't even be, and the parent thinks there's something wrong with them or their child. And what they've, they've done is they've moved from the phase where family, I'm learning how to interact and be a part of a family. And all of a sudden they get to where, you know what? My world, my future is not in my family. My future is with others outside my family. So they're going to move out there and say, now, how do I navigate when I'm with others? And that's where you become a consultant. Now, the problem is if you don't get uh, two and three right, and then they go into that 13 or 14 where you're really a consultant, if you don't get two and three right, then you start trying to operate with two and three when they're 13 and 14. So all of a sudden, when you start laying down the rules of what's right and wrong and you're not in charge, if you start teaching a 14-year-old that and you hadn't taught them when they're four, you're in a war. Because all of a sudden, you're not talking with a child. You know who you're talking to? An adult. We don't view our children when they turn 13 as adults, but read the Bible. The Bible views when you turn 13, you're an adult, not a child. So we, we try to hang on to that. So you, very important, you know, for when they're in number two, that you're not your, your child's friend. You're their parent. You're in charge. They don't have to like you. They're going to love you because you take care of them, but they don't have to like you. And then at, at, the, at the coach phase, they start liking you. Uh, I've, been in, uh, I've, I've been in kids that have been uh, abandoned and in orphanages, and, in, and you go talk to them between the age of 6 and 12. You go talk to them, and their mom and dad are the greatest people in the world. They've been totally abandoned and forsaken, but they can't wait for their mom and dad to come back and get them because their mom and dad loves them, and they're wonderful people. They just couldn't take care of me, and they were totally abandoned, but they still love their mom and dad. Yeah. So that's a great time to teach, and then it goes to others. And then we hit the number five phase, the counselor, which is around 18. Yeah, 18 to 20. All of a sudden, you realize that uh, in the consultant phase, you engage. But when they get to 18, 19, and 20, uh, you engage when you're asked. You don't engage there unless they invite you in. So the role in relationship changes. The love never does. Love continues to grow. But the role you play in your child's life and the relationship you have with your child um, changes. And that's where adults going back to their, uh, you know, to the counselor, adults going back dealing with the issues of what happened to them, the number their parents put on them. And sometimes they're, they view their parent as number two. Hmm. The number is my, my mom and dad are still my cop. They tell me what's right and wrong. They, you know, they, they try to run my life or, you know, so yeah. there's a point. All these are a process of letting go. Yeah. And then the goal, of course, into the adult phase, once we're, we, most, a lot of us in here are adults with adult parents, mm-hmm. which is the, the goal as a parent there is to be the confidant. Mm-hmm. Be, be your friend. The, uh, you want your child, the only, the real time you want your child to be your friend is after 25. Because, but, you know, till you're 25, you know, well, till 12, they think you're okay. And then from 12 to 25, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then about That's 25, true. when they start thinking about getting married and getting a job and having children, they come back and go, my dad was pretty smart. In other words, they come back around and go, he really knew what was going on. I didn't. 
but that's when, it, when, you, when you navigate through those early phases, then ultimately what you want is your child in your adult life to be your friend. So, you know, our daughter, Shandi, she's 38 or 9. Wow. But she's, I mean, she and Mary Lou are like sisters. They hang out, they talk about everything, and it's not a control or whatever, you know, and it's not that they ask for our advice anymore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, we come in, you know, they're decorating their house, and, uh, you know, uh, you go, well, that would be, they go, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> We're de- this is our house, not yours. We're going to decorate the way we want to. So there's sometimes where they don't even want your advice, but, but there, there is the friend. And you, there's that genuine love and friendship because it's two adults who are friends with each yeah. other. And then number seven, the number of completion. Jesus bled from seven places. On the seventh day, God rested. Mm-hmm. So the seventh is the care Receiver, where they take care of you. So at the beginning, you take care of them. At the end, they take care of you. It's the circle of life. Elton John was wrong. <laughs> Any more thoughts on for us? I, I just literally sprung this on you, but you're a professional. Right? Well, <laughs> I well, thought you were the, out of town. The, uh, I think the picture of the kingdom, we've talked about the kingdom, but God's kingdom is revealed in a family. God did not reveal himself as a pastor. He revealed himself as a father. We're not his congregation. We're his children. And his plan for us is for us to come home. He wants us to come home. So the family is the battle. The battle is within the family, and all of us know it. And it's always the battle for control. Because you start out with control. When in, the, in the caregiver, you're 100% in control, and you have to be. But ultimately, that completely goes away. And it is the, the interdependence because you want your children to be able to depend on you because we are God's representatives in their life where when we don't have any control, they surrender to his will. Now they know God's in control. And so they serve him. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, if you don't have these written down, take some time, write them down, take a picture of the screen. This was so freeing. When Benny shared this last year, it was just so freeing because... Many of us were, you might be doing this intuitively, but you didn't know there was to actually write down these phases and to understand that the reason why moving from, you know, counselor to coach, whatever, you're in those phases. Sometimes I want to be the cop, and the thing that really can provoke our children to wrath is when we get the wrong mix in the wrong phase mm-hmm. and move uh, freely through these. And so, anyway, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me surprise you this morning, yeah, Benny. Would you give him a hand? All right, that was awesome. This is a. Uh... You learn this more through failures than successes. And how much does your book, where's your book, <laughs> the parenting book? Can, they get, can we order that somewhere? We'll bring him, we'll bring him and have him for you. You can read his book. And he's, uh, he's truly been, uh, both he and Mary Lou have been such a good mentor to me. And Would you stand up? I, I feel like I've just given you the fire hose this week, not just a hose. Because some of you are looking at me like I didn't get anything to drink. I just got shot backwards with the hose. Take this stuff home with you and ruminate on it. Where are you in these phases? The nurture and the admonition of the Lord, the left and the right hand of God, the maternal and the paternal, the feeling and the function. In raising your children now and in being your children's parents later, everybody in this room has got a story because we've all got parents. And my prayer from all of us is that we can drink from the parent tap, the the Holy Spirit, 
Let him bring healing and courage in those areas, not even to stop maybe some of those generational things that we might want to... Re- it's, isn't it so funny how even you don't even know it and you'd be like accidentally acting like your father or your mother and you swore you'd never do it. But Jesus, by the way, what do you say that you're safely in my hand? You're not gonna, no one's going to pluck you out. And you know what? No one's going to pluck your kids out either. They're safe. So my prayer for you as you're entering these phases of life is that we recognize the phase, that we let the Spirit give us the appropriate mix of nurture and admonition. And that we let the ultimate counselor, part of that phase of us as being a counselor, the ultimate counselor, the Holy Spirit, be our counselor in these areas. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wisdom that, that, that every time the lights go out in our driving with our kids, that we can know that the Spirit, the entrance of your word brings light. And today, this simple, there's so much in just these few short verses. I pray that it just ruminates inside of us, that it percolates, and that it becomes a rhema word for each of us, that it's meaningful and applicable, and we know exactly what it is. And especially for those, Lord, maybe the adults with adult parents where the relationship is broken or strained because someone's in the wrong phase at the wrong time, I ask for you to give wisdom on how to honor because it's so different for each of us. Would you give each of us that wisdom of how to really to honor our parents? It's in your name that we pray. It's in the nature of who you are. It's Jesus' name that we pray in. Amen. Was this helpful? I hope it was. Thank you, Benny, for Battlefield promotion. It's, gonna be, it's way better than first service because you're here, so thank you. You guys be blessed. Have a good week. Uh, No other announcements. We're good.